0: Praise the Lord. Um, I gave him a message this morning. If you, if you have your, how many have your Bibles here this morning? Uh, we haven't done this in a while. If you have a Bible like this, I don't care if you have to turn yours on and lights up whatever you do, iPhone, iPad, it all works. But we used to do this, we used to hold up our Bibles and say this after me. This is my Father's word. This is more than a history book to me. But in this book contains words of life. So I will open up my ears I'll open up my heart to the sayings of this book. Praise the Lord. Amen. I was contemplating this week on, on my messages I do every week, and God dropped something in my heart. I want to be able to give it to you this morning. Uh, <clears throat> but how many's ever had, this is the title of my message, by the way, how many has ever had what's called a life-defining moment? A life-defining moment. I started thinking about this. I thought about the years. Let me give you a, a definition. That's what I'm going to talk about this morning: is life-defining moments in our life or in a person's life. And uh, a, a defining moment is a point in your life when you're urged to make a pivotal decision, or when you experience something that is fundamental that fundamentally changes you. How many's ever had that? Okay. Not only uh, do these moments define us, but they have. But they have a transform transformative effect on our perceptions and behaviors. How many know that's true? Uh, how many can think back as a, as maybe a pivotal moment or defining uh, life defining uh, moment uh, when they gave their heart to the Lord? Yes. I mean, we refer to that as giving the heart to the Lord or, or, or receiving uh, Christ. Uh, uh, however you've done that, with the confession, water baptism, but something changed. It's not something that we, we did as much as something that we received. How many know that's true? It's not something that we did to earn that, because basically there is nothing you can do to earn it. Right. It is receive what Christ has given as a free gift. That was a life defining moment for me. I remember it was years ago. Uh, matter of fact, I remember the exact year and the exact date that I gave my heart to the Lord. That's how. That's how defining it was for me. I think the more defining that moment becomes, the more it's etched in our minds. And uh, well, it, l- let me take you back. It was 1976. Uh, uh, matter of fact, it was uh, it was uh, it, around midsummer 1976. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It was in February 1976. And February. Ni- matter of fact, February 29th 1976. I gave my heart to the Lord, and uh, and went to a church. I was on a job uh, uh, back then, I was a union electrician. I worked uh, uh, in, in, if you remember back in the 70s, we had a great recession. It was a recession in our country that, was, uh, that's, that went from the Richard Nixon administration, now I'm really dating myself, and the Richard Nixon administration cleared to, the, to uh, Ronald Reagan. It was a long recession. Uh, if you had a job, you were very thankful. I had a wife and two kids at that time, and uh, going across the country uh, trying to find jobs. I was in Shippingport, Pennsylvania, working on a, a, a four-unit powerhouse there uh, as a union electrician. Uh, probably over 3,000 men on that job to build that powerhouse. I was uh, an electrician there. And there was a guy that was sent there. I was from, I was from uh, Kingston, New York. Traveled to Shippingport, Pennsylvania, and I met a guy who was, became my working partner, got teamed up together, who was from Flint, Michigan. And, it, and he was a Christian and witnessed to me, and, and, and I, I through his testimony, through it took about two weeks to get through to me. <laughs> about two weeks' time, I said, I'm going to become a Christian. At that point, at that pivotal point in my life, everything has changed. I'm not just talking about how I felt. I'm talking about everything changed. Because the moment I became a Christian, I also became a tither. And I didn't know how I was going to do that because basically I was behind in everything financially. Uh, not behind in paying bills, but I mean, it was trying, to, trying to make ends meet was very difficult. And uh, we were on the road and traveling and different things like this. So I went ahead and, 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 and but I stepped out in faith. and I remember we gave my first tie check to the church. That was tough. And, but the fact is, is what happened that same day, this is kind of a, a neat story, but it was the same day. Being a union job, as union jobs sometimes do, we're in the middle of work, and all of a sudden somebody screams strike, and they shut the job down. And basically, if you're an electrician or union anything, the job is shut down for a union picket, nobody goes in, nobody goes to work. And you don't get paid. It wasn't, it, we had any kind of a strike fund that they paid you out of. No, it was no fun, it was it. And I'm living from paycheck to paycheck, but I paid the tithe that Sunday morning in church, I remember that, being in church. And I'm thinking about, I was starting to complain to God. I'm starting to complain to, to, to uh, I said to Doug, I said, Doug, I says, fine thing. I said, I wrote out that check for my tithe, stepped out in faith, and now this happens. We're going to be out of work. He says, the day isn't over yet. That's what he told me. He said, the day isn't over yet. He said, and you pay, did you have faith when you gave that tithe check to the church? I said, yeah. I said, it's supposed to be God's money. I give it back to him. I, yeah, I, I believed it was God. I, I, he said, just hang on to that. It wasn't until about noontime the foreman comes up comes up to me and he says to me and Doug, he says, uh, we need a couple of guys. He said, I need a, a team of guys. But he said, I'm picking you two guys, he said, to keep on working. Right. He, yeah. said, he said, through the because we're, we're temperate, what they call TPL, or temporary power and light. And he says, we have to have this plant maintained, even though it's being built. He said, everything has to stay maintained. So when the strike is over, they come back and go right to work. Nothing has to be refired up. You guys have to uh, oversee all the pumps and all the, CO, all the things, all the electrical things that you need to do. And I'm picking you two. All You're right. picking us two? I'm thinking, why did he pick us? And Doug is shoulder- elbowing me like this. He says, remember that tie check? I do, never stopped tithing since. That was 1976, and so so all I, and, and God has protected us over. this. It was a life-defining moment. Why? Because I came out from just a survival moment of taking care of me or us four, no more, to going out and actually uh, putting a, a, an investment in God's kingdom, and then God turned turn around and protecting uh, what was mine was, was was I'm supposed to was protecting my job. And so we, we crossed the picket line every morning. We showed them our, our ID, cuts. okay, go on through. And, and, and every morning I went to work and didn't lose one paycheck <laughs> because of a picket line and worked to the strike. The first time I think this ever happened in the history of unions. But, but it, it had to be done that way. But anyway, praise the Lord. Life-defining moments. They can be anything from uh, 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 if you're a parent, your brand-new child being born. Man, there's just something about when you, I remember when, when Diane and I first got married and Eric came along, he was our firstborn, and Stacy uh, three years after that. But all of a sudden it hit me, a life-defining moment to where, hey, I'm not only a husband I'm all, and a provider, I'm also a dad, a husband and a provider. And then a few years later, it was I was a husband, provider, pastor, grandfather, uh, and so on and so forth that goes, life-defining moments. But the one important life-defying moment in my life, and I would hear you agree, if you listen to this, your life is when we gave our heart to the Lord Amen. and became Christ. It changed everything. It changed all the dynamics of everything that we thought was impossible you, became God's possibilities. You've got to understand, what we call impossible, he doesn't. But when we come up to something that's impossible, it's almost like a challenge for God to say, well, I can do the impossible. So what's impossible for man, the Bible says, is not impossible for God. Amen? But it, co- it, it takes us putting our trust in that. So I, I wrote down a few things this morning in line with that. Uh, true character. These are just things that I thought as I get in prayer. True character is revealed by choices or decisions we make. True character is revealed by choices or decisions we make. Here's another one. I like, I like this little, I came up with this one. Uh, it says, integrity opens the door of trust and the windows of opportunity. One of the biggest things that I found out in my life that separate me from a lot of people that were looking for the same job, looking for the same thing as me, maybe even smarter than me, but the one thing that is always said is, is, is integrity. Amen. Yes, sir. God is not a man that he should lie, either should we be men that lie. Yes, sir. Amen. God is not a man who, who, who backs down. God is not a man who, who forsakes his word, neither should we be men or women that, that forsake their word. Yes, sir. Praise yes, the Lord. I remember when I first started the church, God says to me, I was praying. I was really nervous. It was my first church service. And God says to me, he says, are you a man of integrity? I said, yes, sir, I am. He says, what time are you going to start the church service? I said, the church service starts 10 o'clock. He said, not one minute later. And that's where it started. He said, if you're going to be a person of integrity, be a person of integrity and everything. So I made sure I was there early. <laughs> if it was up to me to get the church started, I was there early to make sure I was on time. Yeah. If you're advertising church starts 10 o'clock, 10.01's a lie. Okay. Now, this is the old school I was brought up in, okay? Matter of fact, what I, the old school I was brought up in, the fact is, you're 15 minutes early and you're on time. <laughs> so I'm still to this day 15 minutes early, sometimes more than that, but 15 minutes early for, for about every appointment that I say I'm going to be there. That's, that was it. How many ever gone uh, to a doctor or dentist or whatever and, 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 and you have an appointment for 10 o'clock and by the time they see you, it's 10.32? Or quarter to 11? To, to 11, or 11 o'clock? You're sitting there for an hour waiting for... Hey, my appointment was such and such a time. Amen. Anyway, praise the Lord. But, uh, so integrity opens the door trust and the windows of opportunity. Our connection with... other. Uh, I put this down from, uh, further from last week's message because God showed me this. He said, our connection with each other increases our relationship with Christ. How many know that our connection with one another? So if you're isolating yourself, you're also isolating yourself from the body of Christ, isolating yourself from the kingdom of God, and, and, and basically you're losing ground. Yes, I'll get sir. to that in a minute. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, you brought your Bible this morning. Let me turn to the first scripture. <clears throat> How many enjoyed that little yes, introduction? Thank you so much. Well, tough. I gave it anyway, Thank so God. praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. So, uh, but... I started studying this story, and this is this is this is something. When I started reading this thing, uh, you'll find this in all three synoptic gospels. Synoptic gospels are what referred to as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is not considered a synoptic gospel uh, uh, because he has a different storyline. But the synoptic gospels generally agree or reinforce one another, and basically that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. How many remember the story of the rich young ruler? Yes, sir. Now, here's the thing about the rich young ruler. You have to go through all three synoptic gospels to find out that he was a rich young ruler. For instance, Mark uh, just says one, one, who came running to him, to, to Jesus. Uh, so you're not going to get rich young ruler or, or anything there. Now you go to Luke chapter 18 and it says the rich, it says a certain ruler asked him, said good master. So he was saying, so Luke calls him a ruler and it was Matthew who called him a young man. Amen. What does that mean? So if you're in this story, basically this guy comes running up to Jesus. I use the part in Mark because I like the idea of Mark is the only one that says he's running. So when you put all three parts together, you see we got this guy's story down pat. We know everything about this guy. You listen to me. We know everything about this guy because this guy was about to go through a defining moment with Jesus Christ himself. And he runs up to Jesus. What happened? Well, in, if you read the Gospels in, in these, either Mark uh, 10 or Luke uh, 18 or uh, Matthew 19, you'll see Jesus was leaving town. He's walking down the road. He wasn't in a synagogue. He wasn't in a church. Uh, when I met Jesus, I wasn't in a church. I was on a construction site. Yes, sir. Amen. When I first met Jesus. So this guy runs up, first meeting Jesus on the road and he comes running to him, and he says, Master, what must I do? Now, he, the, the one gospel said he threw himself at Jesus' feet and began to worship him. He said, Master, what must I do to, be, to inherit eternal life? Not to be saved, but we would call it salvation, but he would say to inherit eternal life. What must I do? Now, there's got to be something I have to do to inherit this thing that you're talking about. I don't, if, if you look in the previous verses, Jesus wasn't even talking about eternal life as much as he was talking about marriage and other issues. But somehow this man had to track Jesus down, run after him. Why? Because Jesus was leaving. So he saw a window of opportunity. He ran after Jesus. He fell at his feet and he says, master, what must I do to obtain eternal life? That was a question. Seems like a fair question. Now, the fact that he was young and the fact that he was rich and the fact that he was a ruler says mountain of information about this guy. Okay, First of all, he was young. What does that mean? Young is young. I mean, I'm 68. I still feel young. Am I young at 68? Well, if I asked Roberta, no. Because you know, she's just a young kid. Or if I asked Joanne, no, no, no I'm not young. I'm an old guy. But, but So I guess it's relative to who you talk to. Now, if I hang around Skip, I know Skip is older than me. My mom is 93. Yeah. She's sitting here this morning. So my mom is 93. So I guess compared to my mom, I'm just a young guy. Matter of fact, she told me the other day, she says, you're still young. <laughs> well, I wish my body would get, you know, would, would get a hold of that thing. So what does it mean? Well, I, I looked this up. I'll give you the answer. I looked this up. We're talking about anybody from a teenager to 40 years old. Isn't that amazing? 40 years old to consider young. I see people today uh, in, in the millennial generation and different things. They, they think that forty is the end of the world. I thought that. Yeah. Hey, when I was eighteen, I said I thought, man, by the time I reach forty, I'm going to be an old guy. Man, I'm going to think need a walker. You know? Yeah. Now forty, hey, that's young. Yeah. I could be a young guy at forty when you're sixty-eight. Suit. <laughs> I'll take any back any years you want to give me. One, two, three. I'll go, You know. Boy, to be 60 again. <laughs> you talk to my mom, my mom said, like, yeah, to be 86 again, man, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> so I guess it's relative, but the fact is that he was a ruler. Now, this puts it in a different perspective, because the guy who was a ruler means he was a ruler in a synagogue now. Now, this guy is like a lawyer. This guy is, has the law of Moses down pat. So let me get this straight. This guy who knew everything about the law of Moses, the first five books, he had probably the first five books uh, of the Torah memorized. These guys usually did because the, the, between the rulers and the scribes, they, had to be, they were into the word. Not only that, he knew how to interpret for different customs. So basically, we're not talking about an ungodly person. We're talking about a very godly man who practices, uh, he didn't go to church, he went to synagogue, but he was in a synagogue every Shabbat or Sabbath. So every every week he's he's in he's in uh, uh, Shabbat he's in there he's reading uh, the Torah he's doing his prayers his uh, his household is in order he's making sure that his kids follow the word everything everything is perfect everything. If we put it in a Christian-Gentile standard, uh, they're the, this is the family that always goes to church. They're there to help out the pastor. Not only help out the pastor, uh, every once in a while they fill in, they do the preaching, they, do a, uh, they prepare the communion, they do everything, they bless people. They can even officiate marriages. The rules could, so they, they could officiate a marriage, uh, uh, they could, uh, everything. They could counsel people. So this is a guy who you would look at today and say, this is a perfect churchgoer. This is the guy we're looking for. These are the holy people we want to hang around, isn't it? <laughs> you think it's a rhetorical question? Well, it is. Hallelujah. And does it have a pitfall to it? Yes, it does. Okay? But the fact is, we would think this is the best. And matter of fact, the world looks at this and says, well, that's the perfect church person. And what they'll do, they pick apart try to find something wrong with it. But the, the fact is, you're not going to find anything wrong with this guy based on the law, based on the first five books of this Bible, you will not find anything wrong with this guy based on what you could read looking on the outside. Only God can see on the inside, not just what's on the outside. Are you hear me this morning? God can look on the inside, not just what's on the outside. Yes, sir. So no matter how perfect this guy looks, we know there was something lacking in his life. In other words, he was dissatisfied. He was dissatisfied with his life. He was dissatisfied with the Torah. He's dissatisfied with going to church every Shabbat or synagogue every Shabbat. He's dissatisfied with life in general. He's dissatisfied with riches? Huh. This guy is financially fixed. He doesn't owe anything. He doesn't have to worry about paying bills. He's got all the money he can imagine. He's fixed for life. You would think, I want to be this guy. Yeah. (laughs) But he missed his defining moment. Because all those things that he accumulated was not a definition of who he was or a defining moment, was it? Because basically, if you know the story, this story is, is very popular. We know the story. The rich young ruler, and Jesus said, first of all, he says to him, he, said, well, he says, Good, good uh, master, what, what shall I do to inherit life? And he said, Why do you call me good? Oh. Only good is God. Well, don't we know that he is? Well, we know, yes, but he was testing this guy to see where, where do I fit in this scenario? Would you come? Or would you, why do you call me good? He says, you know what to do. You're a ruler of the temple. You've, you've read the Torah. You know what the word is. So Jesus began to challenge him now. Challenge his motivation. You don't think Jesus would challenge your motivation this morning? Why do you want to be saved? Ask you a question. Why would anybody want salvation? Why would anybody want to be a Christian? That's a strange question for a pastor to ask, isn't it? Why would anybody want to be a Christian? Jesus standing right here could do the same thing to us that he did to this, that he question us, just the way he questioned this rich young ruler, and say, Why do you want to be a Christian? Well, why not? I go to church, I'm a good person, I'm this. No, he didn't ask you what you did. He asked you why you want. Why do you want, why do you want eternal life? Because what this man was reading in the Torah tell him, it told him exactly how to get eternal life according to the law of Moses. And he said, by his own admission, he has done this since his youth. So in other words, all my young days I've been doing this all along. I've been brought up in this, and I've been practicing everything here. Let me ask you this: If you've been going to church, I'm going to put it in today's negative or in a church setting. If you're going to church, you're paying your tithe, you're doing everything. Then how come you're not satisfied? Come on, yes. You look good on the outside. You quit drinking, you quit smoking, you quit chewing tobacco, you quit going with girls that do chew, (laughs) and all the old saying, and you've done all this stuff, you cleaned up your act, so why? What are you doing here? But still on the inside feeling empty? Maybe it's not in the doing, it's in the being. Maybe it's not in what we do, but what we become. Because right now, since 1976, I just shared with you that I've been, you'd have a hard case to try to get me to do anything else but serve God. Matter of fact, when somebody asked me the question, what are you going to do when the pandemic closes down all the churches? I said, I'm going to have church. And if I have to have church in a jail cell, then I'll do it in a jail cell. Because I'm not giving up Christ for nothing. And what he's told me to do, I will do as long as there's breath in his body. And you can mark my words. Why? Because I just didn't have a moment. I didn't have a moment of, whoa, I need this so I don't go to hell. No, 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 no. I had a relationship and I had an encounter with Christ is a big difference. Yes, sir. Amen. I didn't take on Christ for stinking fire insurance. Amen, that's right. Though I'm glad he has the policy written and has paid the price for it. I am glad of that. But that's not the reason. The reason was an emptiness in my life that I needed Christ, something there to fill it, and nobody could fill it. This man had the same problem I could relate to him in my B.C. days, before Christ days. I can relate to him. He had all the money. He had power and authority because he was a ruler, so he could tell other people what to do. Okay? He had all these things, and he still was unsatisfied. In other words, his religious acts still left him empty and a partial man. He wasn't complete. And it does the same thing today. And people try to do works to try to get closer to Christ and get further away. Well, I'm just gonna do this because that's what I'm supposed to do. Why are you supposed to? Why don't you challenge it? Challenge yourself. Don't challenge other people, challenge yourself. Why am I doing this? Because I had to ask the Lord one time. I was, I was in church six years, six years in running. And I, was, I said, why, Lord? I'm doing everything. I'm going to church. I had a relationship with him. I talked to him on the way to work, talked to him on the way home, you know, talked to him during the day. But, so I said, why am I doing this? I, my life still felt empty. I'm going to church. I'm paying my tithe. I knew all these things. How come I'm still having a problem with this feeling of the old, of the old man? Then what happened? I got shifted to another job. <laughs> And I got hooked up with another guy. Can you see a pattern here? And this guy began to minister to me. He was a Rhema Bible graduate. And we were hooked. I was only with him for about, we were only partners. In the, in the union, as union electricians, they, they hook you up in teams or partners. You either have a, another journeyman with you, which is a, full, a full-fledged electrician, or you had an apprentice. But they always, in the trade, they always try to work in, like, when you're working electricity, is, they work in twos. At least twos. At least two people working on the same project if you're fixing something. You know why they do that? You know why they do that? No, I don't. Because a job is dangerous. And basically, if you get hung up on something that's hot or something that's alive, what happens if you grab something that's... that's how many of you ever grab, uh, put a finger in a light socket? Oh, yeah. Don't do that, but I mean... Yeah. <laughs> and what happens is your muscles contract. And basically, you need somebody else to pull you loose if you were to get hung up, what they call being hung up. So they always worked, for safety-wise, they always worked in teams of two. Well, anyway, I get hooked up to this other guy, and he tells me, he said, oh, yeah, I'm just, a, and, he, and he had a big old Bible he carried to work. This is unusual because I was a Christian, but I didn't carry my big old Bible. He had a big old Bible, just this, this size Bible here, and he carried it on top of his lunchbox, and this is what he came to work with. So that in a code book, I mean, you know, electrical code book. I mean, the, the, he said, nope, code book for life. This is it. I said, well, what, you still got a preacher or something? And he said, nope. He said, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be someday. I said, you are? Fine. I said, that's, that's really good. Uh, 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 okay. Whatever. <laughs> you know, he had a tough construction job, but here he comes to the Bible. I figure, you know, my partner's going to get beat up before he gets <laughs> out of here today. I don't know. You know, but he was just open. And, the, and he was just, the, he didn't care who thought about it. He had his Bible. He had it all marked up, and he was carrying his Bible. And, I, and he started saying, he said, he said, you a Christian? Yes, sir. You go to church? Absolutely. Every Sunday. Wouldn't miss. He said, they ever ask you to work overtime on a Sunday? Yep. He said, you ever do it? Nope. This is a construction takeoff all the time you can afford is what they used to tell you. Nobody, nobody, I said, no, I never, I never missed church. Matter of fact, the church I went to, is a sin if you missed church. So basically, I said, and he says, uh, he said, you're filled with the spirit? I said, yeah, I got filled with the spirit when I made Jesus Lord of my life. He said, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the second work of grace. What second work of grace? the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence speaking in tongues. I said, you got to be kidding me. Here comes defining moment, life defining moment number two. And he preached to me for two weeks straight. Remember it took me two weeks to get saved? It takes me two weeks for everything. I guess I know back then it did. <laughs> Now I don't have two weeks. We got we got more. T- we don't have that much time. But, but uh, anyway, and uh, I said to him one day. I says I says you know what, Louis. I said I'll tell you this. I said right now. I said you got through to me because I told him this. This is what I said. I says if you can show me in this book anything you want to show me, I will believe it. I will believe it. Show me in this book and I'll believe it. But just mouth off some of the doctrine. I don't care what you. Nah, I'm not interested. You know, peddle it someplace else. He said, What if I would show you from in, with. In, 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 you know, without a doubt, everything line for line. I will believe it, and I will act on it. That's what I told him before he started witnessing to me. He said, well, I said, well, you showed me more, and more than one verse of Scripture. I said, it was a lot of Scriptures you showed me. And basically, amen? How many of you know that everybody, every author of the New Testament was a spirit-filled, yes. okay, tongue-talking Christian? <laughs> that's when he was against me. (laughs) And how many know that Jesus told the disciples to tarry in Jerusalem, don't leave. Don't carry out this commission until you've tarried in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. They couldn't even start the work in a ministry until they were filled with the Spirit. So this is the stuff I got for two weeks in preaching. I said, I went home and I came back in the next day. I went home in my house. and I knelt down beside my bed. Uh, um, I didn't go to church. My wife went took the kids to church. I had the house to myself and I just sat there and I prayed and I asked the Lord to fill me. Lo and behold, I never had anybody lay hands on me or anything like that. And lo and behold, I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not only that, it was such a wonderful experience. I felt the healing come in my body at the same time. Nobody ever did that lay hand, me. and I had that confirmed out with a doctor. Yes, hallelujah. So basically, so this is what happened. So God called me, baptized me with the Spirit, and, and and so now that was a life-defining moment because now I was going to a church that didn't quite believe that way, and now I had what am I supposed to do? I said, I'm not going to put a, light, a bushel over my light. So I went to the, to the church elders and to the pastor, and I, said, I told them exactly the experience I had what I'm telling you now. And they really didn't give me the left foot of fellowship, you know, <laughs> right off the bat, but it was kind of getting that way. The relationship was getting colder and colder, and I said, you know what, for the sake of causing trouble, I said, I just better get around believers that believe like me. And I started looking for another church. I, I bowed out. I told the pastor. I said, "You know, I have no ill feelings. Never talked about it." I said, "You people are wonderful to me." I said, "You, you were a family when I didn't have any family around." I said, "But I'll never talk bad about you, and never allow any of my kids or anybody else talk bad about this church." I said, "We just have grown with the Lord and going on to the next thing." I'd like to find moments. So let me get back to the rich young ruler. He was willing to do everything but one. He was willing to do everything. He ran. You don't get these rulers to run. He ran down Christ. He ran after him. He fell at his feet, the Bible says. He fell at his feet. Rich young rulers don't worship other men. That would be considered an an atrocity in the scriptures. He wasn't going by the Torah when he did that. He was going by his feelings. He was so empty and was so full of hope that Jesus had the life he wanted, that he threw himself down. I believe the guy was sincere. Amen. It was no show. There was nobody there to show. The multitudes were gone. It was just Jesus and his disciples. And he says, you have completed everything required except for one thing. Let me ask the congregation this morning. Is there one thing? Now, some people might be several. But is there that one thing that maybe you're not ready to surrender to the Lord? Because Jesus isn't trying to take, Jesus is not the God of subtraction. He's the God of addition and multiplication. The devil is a devil of subtraction and division. Always remember that if you want to give a math uh, analogy, but that's the truth. So regardless of what this guy was asked to give up, Jesus was going to pay back a hundredfold. Well, 30, 60, or a hundredfold, we know that from the scriptures, right? Even, even 30-fold would be pretty good. That's a third more, third, 30% increase would be pretty good over what you have, especially if you're very rich. And, and he says, well, I'm going to give you the minimum, I'll give you 30% more. I take it. I take it. What's 30% of a million dollars? How many of here would take a check right now for 30% of a million dollars? Oh, yeah, all the hands go up now. I'm speaking your language. I saw that right there. I'm, I'm speaking your language. Let me ask you a second question. What would you do with it? what would you do with it knowing it came from God? Oh, yeah, let's go out and party down. This is Key West. Wrong, wrong answer. Probably why you don't have it. Just saying, praise the Lord. One thing, Jesus said this. Now, wait a minute. Jesus never required this from Zacchaeus. How many remember Zacchaeus? The little guy up in the tree saw Jesus coming and and Jesus said, I'm going to have dinner with you. Invite me to your house right now. Jesus invited himself. Zacchaeus came down. He gets everybody, and he comes up to Jesus. He said, "Jesus, everything that I've stolen, everything I've done wrong, I'm going to give it back with 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 payments. I'm going to give it back all more." Jesus never asked him to do that. He never said, "Zacchaeus, if you want eternal life, he said, give up uh, and stop cheating people and give up everything you've stolen." He didn't say that. That wasn't. That would have been a requirement for that rat. I would have seen that that coming. Yeah, you're little snake. You've been stealing from people and, and robbing them blind and saying that it's a Roman government because that's what a tax collector did. They t- collected so many taxes. The Roman government would, or Roman Empire would declare a certain amount of taxes they had to get from a community. So the tax collector would collect those taxes for the Roman government, especially if you're a Jew, you're despised because what happens, they always added more to that and took the cut because the Roman says, you give us this. And then whatever you get extra is yours. So you can see the reputation of these guys. Yes, Isn't it amazing that Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, was a tax collector? Yes, sir. But he had he had all of a sudden he had a life defining moment, and you don't see Matthew now as a tax collector? Hmm. Isn't it amazing? See, you knew everything about this guy, and I could go on and on and on. You know everything about this rich young ruler, but you don't know his name. Isn't that amazing? How many know the name of Judas? Oh, but a betrayer, you know his name? But a rich young ruler that walked away from the one command of Christ, you don't even see his name. He is nameless. Are you, isn't that amazing? What if it, can we just speculate for a minute? What if it was been the other way around? He had this life-defining uh, moment that went the other way. In other words, I'm going to do it. I'm giving away all my wealth to the poor, and I'm going to follow you. Now, Jesus didn't ask everybody to follow him. Remember the demoniac that he set free from the, from the devil? Yes. And the guy said, I'll follow you everywhere. I just want to be with you. He said, no, he said, go back into the village and tell people what just happened to you. Amen. No, he said, you go back and be a witness. So Jesus didn't allow everybody who who got blessed by him to follow him. But to walk with him? Can you imagine? Jesus invited him. He invited the rich young ruler to follow him. Follow me, he says. Give all your wealth to the poor and come follow me. Why not? Peter was washing nets one day, and this guy called Jesus comes up. He says, hey, I'll make you a fisherman. All you got to do is follow me. Dropped his nets and went running after him. Left his business and everything. Now, Jesus didn't require that, but he did kind of require that from his disciples at the time, didn't he? Hmm. I guess he wanted to make this rich young ruler a disciple. Can you imagine, because if he had been a disciple, we might have, instead of just three synoptic gospels and four gospels, we might have five. With this guy's name attached to one of them. Why? Matthew did it. Yes, sir. Peter has a book in there. He did it. Yes, sir. Did, he, did he suffer? Uh-uh. He went back to fishing after the crucifixion. Remember that? Jesus, he got any fish. Jesus is cooking fish on the beach. Peter says, no. He says, catching at the other side. When Peter saw it was Jesus, he jumped in the water and, 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 and hugged him. Peter was a denier of Christ at one time. You don't remember Peter as a denier of Christ. We remember him as one of the, the letter, first and second Peter, in the epistles. We remember Peter, one of the three of the sons of thunder. Peter, James, and John had all of Jerusalem upset. Had all these guys, these kind of guys, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the rulers, the scribes, him all upset because he was preaching another doctrine and having miracles to prove it. Amen. Yes, sir, amen. Perfect. All of this was laid upon this guy, but he had to get one thing right. And he failed to do it. And the Bible says this: he walked away and he was in grief. In grief, he wasn't happy. He wasn't, well, I made the right decision. He walked away in grief, just like people do today. There is not one day that I have served the Lord, not one day in Christ that I ever had a regret when I did what God asked of me to do. And all Jesus had to do is say one time, give up everything and follow me. And you know what I gave up? I gave up everything, which you know what, total to zero compared to what he has blessed back. Zero. I gave up nothing. Amen. Because now all of a sudden, when I gave was willing to give him what he required, what he was calling for me, now all of a sudden I was getting blessed in the workplace. My marriage was coming together. I don't know if Diane and I—we've been married 49 years, coming on 50 years marriage. I don't, and we have been never married to anybody else. We've always just married married each other. We do everything together, even to this day. You can go diving together. We do everything together. I don't know if that marriage relationship would have been the same if I hadn't had Christ. I don't know if that marriage relationship, if Diane didn't do the same thing I did. It wasn't just me. I'm only one person in this this, uh, duo. But she also was willing to give up and follow me as I followed Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's a blessing to have a woman, to have a wife that will, that, will, that will agree with her husband to that uh, uh, totality. To Yep, we're, we're all serving God. We come in agreement over our kids. We watch our kids in, in their adolescence grow up and, and, get, and need healing, get healed, watch God heal them without a doctor. I never used medical insurance for I don't know how many years uh, when our kids were growing up. We taught our kids how to pray over one another and, and watch God do miracles. I know it sounds, it sounds far-fetched, doesn't it? But it's not. And all Jesus says, He says, give up what you have and give it to me.' That's all He's asking to do. This would be a great salvation message, but that's not where I'm, I'm going with this this morning. The fact is, I want you to understand: here's a guy that had it all. We have his, you have his life, you have everything about this guy, but you don't know his name. You have not got a clue. And there is no indication in Scripture that he ever changed his mind. I know some had tried to do that and tried to put this, well, this could have been this guy, this rich young girl, and all of a sudden down here he gave. No, 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 you can't, you can't do that. Not emphatically, you can't do that. Because we have no name. you got to understand something. Names in the Hebrew have meanings. If you read the book of Proverbs, you will find other names that Solomon gave himself. So it's been, it's been under debate for a lot of people that, that, well, maybe Solomon didn't write that. No, Solomon wrote it but he called himself like one name he had, uh, I forget how you pronounce it, but one name he had meant gatherer. Another name that Solomon had for himself, uh, well, Ecclesiastes, preacher. So he called himself those things because this is what he wanted to focus on and this is what he wanted to identify with at the time he was writing it. Solomon, the richest man in the world. Do you know what he said? He said this in Proverbs chapter 30. He says, Lord... May you not make me a rich man or a poor man. But Lord, give me what I can eat and my daily allotment. Allotment. In other words, what is due me. He was the richest man ever to live. He was saying, don't let me get caught up in riches so I'll forsake you. People do that all the time. Man, I wanted to go to that prosperity conference pastor, but I had to work. Boy, I wanted to miss that. Man, I needed that church service too, but I just couldn't make it. Hey, hello. Praise the Lord. So it happens all the time. But the fact is, we look at things of coming to church, paying tithing. We look at something as loss. Well, if I give it away, it's gone. Uh Uh-uh. Not when you give it to God, it isn't. Is my life worthless? Let me tell you something. I have more about my life now serving Christ than there ever would have been just serving Kevin Kerr. Same for you. Keep on serving self and what happened at the end. You become a line in an obituary eventually when you're at the end of your life. You become a line that nobody ever noticed. Does anybody remember who died last week? Not unless it was a family member, but somebody died last week. You know that? Pick up the paper, you'll find it. But they have, their their, their defining moment maybe was missed. But how many know uh, uh, famous names that have passed away? But you remember, because they made an impact when they were here. Well, how about famous people uh, that would preach the gospel? Amen? Amen? If I mention the name Billy Graham, well, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, do you know Billy Graham died? Yeah. Do you know his sons or uh, grandsons took over? Do you know, do you know that the, the, still going, his message is still going forth? Yeah. How come you know who Billy Graham is? Did you ever meet Billy Graham? Did you ever go to one of his tent meetings back? At, well, no, you're not old enough. You couldn't before you were born. My mom would have gone My mom would have been a teenager with that meetings. But the fact, no. But you still remember, man? Why? Because he made he a, had a life a, a, a moment that he that he that changed his life and put his a life-defining moment. Life, his life is defined. If you see Billy Graham now, whatever Billy Graham used to be before he met Christ, uh, you don't know anything about that. Unless you study his history, but what, when I mentioned the name Billy Graham, what do you remember? Man, a man that had a fire to save souls. Yes, amen. He, he was a fiery preacher. Just, he, he just had a heart for people. Went to London, England, one time. I remember the story. Matter of fact, I was in London, and one of the, one of the London pastors was telling me this story that Billy Graham came to. And basically, the the, the English people were uh, in town. Some of the London papers and stuff, newspapers, fake news there too. But they were saying that the only reason that people would flock to his altar calls was because they played that one particular song that was very popular. So Billy Graham picked up on this. He read the papers, picked up on this. The next night they had a, they had a crusade. So what he did, he, he signaled no music at all. No music. And stood there after his message and invited people to come down and give their heart to the Lord. It was more that night than the night before had nothing to do with the music. It wasn't playing on people's heartstrings. It wasn't a, it was real. Amen. But you remember the name. Praise the Lord. If I remember if I if I give you the name Moses, would you remember the know who Moses is? Okay, what's Moses name attached to? If I mention, mention the name Moses, what would you think of? Do you think of the guy who stand over another Egyptian murdering him? <laughs> that was Moses too. Do you think of Moses as one that's bowing down to the idols of Egypt in worship as he was raised as one of Pharaoh's adopted sons? No. Why? Because he had a change after he murdered that Egyptian and had to flee. And he married a, 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 a woman, and his, her father's name was Jethro, and he went out and watched his father in law's sheep out in the shepherd, out in the sheep. If that was all he had, you would probably never hear about Moses, but something happened that changed and defined his life. He went by, and at no fault of his, he saw a burning bush, and he looked at the bush. He said, there's something wrong with this bush because it's burning, but it ain't getting consumed. And he got a little closer, and he got a little closer, and he started focusing on this bush, and he started looking at this bush and looking at it and looking at it. So said, there's something wrong with this bush. And all of a sudden, the bush started talking. Now, it wasn't George Bush or Jeb Bush either. No, this was a divine voice. Hallelujah. <laughs> anyway, so, so he's listening and he's listening, and he's listening. What happened? Jesus told him who he was and what he wanted to do. I want you to free my people out of out of Egypt. This is what Moses is known for. Is Moses known for, like he told Joshua, every place your foot trods, you claim it as a promise for God's people, as a a covenant of Abraham's? No, 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 no. You know Moses is one that brought him out of Egypt and then died in the wilderness, or was taken in the wilderness, and that was it. And then Joshua raising up and completing, because God only had the purpose of no, he knew, God knew Moses wasn't going to make it all the way to the promised land. He told him that's where his people were going. Didn't say he was going to go there. Amen. He knew it from before the beginning. But we still know Moses as the guy who delivered the people, uh, uh, God's people out of Egypt. Yes, we know Josh was one that actually possessed the promised land, don't we? Amen. Why? Because they had a life-defining moment. Amen. Amen? Praise the Lord. Are you going to have a life-defining moment? Can you imagine his, going back to this poor guy? I mean, he could have been named with the disciples. Even Judas. Judas, a little rat. The, 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 the person who turned his back on Christ and betrayed him. His name is in the book. Other evil men's name is in the book. This man who was walking a righteous path, but when the one thing God asked him to do, he could not do, cut him off, and he's not even named. All three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, none of them knew his name. He was just a guy that came to Jesus one day, run after Jesus, wanted something. Jesus told him how to get it, and he, and he refused, walked away, kept what he had, and Jesus kept what he had. It's a swap. We give Jesus what he requires, and he gives us what we have. How can you call yourself a loser doing that? You're a loser if you don't. I'll just preach it the way it is. You're a loser if you don't. If you can't follow the simple things that Christ asks us to do, he doesn't have much. Here's the first thing he wants you to do. Give me your life. <laughs> he doesn't want much. He just wants your life. But what does he give you in return? Can anybody say? Eternal life. With the promise that you will never die. I'm not talking about living here. I'm talking about going on to... to this is, we, our life, when we, we end our life here, is a continuation for eternity. That's what he promises. Praise God. Amen. Am I helping anybody this morning? I'm going to say this. This is is my last one. Is that three closings yet? I get three closings this American way. (laughs) Is this three closings? How many many remember these three guys? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can't even say them. (laughs) You can't. You spell Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can't even spell it. But you know what they did. You know who they are. Come on. Matter of fact, that wasn't even the real names. That was their Babylonian names. It's hard to even pronounce those Hebrew names. Let's stick with the Babylonian names because we got another of the best. You know their names, don't you? You know what those three guys did? Those three guys, singly hearted, stood up against the most powerful nation on the planet in those days. They, 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 they went against the king's order. The most powerful man on the planet in that day went against his order and says, we are not bowing, period. Everybody bows before Nebuchadnezzar's golden idol. We're not, because our God told us not to. What about them other two million that were there, that were Hebrews, that were supposed to be practicing Jews, practicing the Torah? They all bowed, because they were afraid for their life. Three men. Nebuchadnezzar, you'll bow, or you'll go in the fiery furnace. And he said, we're not careful in saying this, king, so... Listen close. Our God, who we will not bow to your God, but our God will defend us, or he'll, he'll save us from the fiery furnace. But this is the part I really like. Because everybody goes, oh, Jesus will have, it'll all work out in the end. Oh, Jesus, will have, he's got a better thing for me anyway. Oh, it's not gonna be, I, I'll, he'll no harm, no, angel, no, no harm shall be coming. His angels will get charge over me. At least I dash my foot against his dog. We can have all the scriptures. But that's not what they said. And they didn't quote scripture. What they said. Our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. But, even if he chooses not to, we're not bound to your idol. Period. Man, I could follow a guy like that. No mistake about it. No ifs, ands, or buts. No excuses. No theology behind it. Just saying, no, this is it. Understand something. The devil would love it, if you bow to his world and his world pressures. Amen. But I refuse. Amen. Because to do, bow to their pressures means I have to deny Christ. Amen. To bow to a lot of their pressures. Are you kidding me? Look at the hour we live in today. Right now, if you lived in California, you, you would, and you were gathered in, this, in a church, if this church was in California, you'd be breaking the law and can be arrested. Because churches have been outlawed in, in, in the state of California. This is the United States right now. You tell me they were not in the end days? You need to read the book. Amen? Amen? Think about that. Christians in the United States aren't even allowed to worship. Matter of fact, casinos are allowed to be open, but churches are not. So what one pastor did, he got real brave. He took all his congregation He says, guess what? We can't legally meet here in the church. Let's go to the casino and we'll worship there. Because legally, a casino can be open. That's how stupid it is. That's how stupid it is. Guess what? They just take me to jail. Because this is what's going to be. And this is the end times. This was a, it ain't playing games no more. So go ahead, mole over with your manby-pamby-weak religion. I'll stick with Christ. Amen. Because I had a life-defining moment in 1976. I had another one again in 1981. I had another one again in 1986, before we went, the year before we were in the ministry. I had another one in 1987. I think I had had one last week. (laughs) I think I I look for a uh, 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 life-changing, life-defining event every day. Because every day I want Christ to define my life. If I define my life, I will mess it up. But if he defines my life, I don't have to worry about moving in pride, arrogance, or anything else. I'll just let him define my life this morning. Getting out of the word this morning? Praise the Lord. Oh, I got more, but I gotta go. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Paul did say this to Thessalonica Church. He said, Don't be shaken in mind or troubled. He said, but he puts this, he said, neither by the spirit, nor by the word, nor by the letter from us. Now, wait a minute, why the letter from us? Because Paul was saying what was going to happen in the end times. He said, Men will be lovers themselves, poster, boasters, proud blasphemers. And he said, From such stay away. In other words, from such practices, stay away. Not people, practices. So he, he, he had this down, but he said, don't be shaken in mind. Why? Because your mind is the first thing to be shaken. Your mind is the first thing to, to lead you in the wrong direction. Right. Proverbs says, "A man thinketh in his heart, so he is. If you got something out of this message this morning, yeah. give God glory. Hallelujah. God. Amen.